0: Russia turned Crimea into this huge military hub.
1: And so why didn't Ukraine put up the fight that it did in 2022, for example?
0: Crimeans are afraid to even identify as Ukrainians.
1: The Russians aren't getting any richer in Russia, but so much money is being poured into Crimea.
0: Also because Russia treats Crimea as basically its colony, it doesn't really care about all this historic heritage and all these historic sites in
1: Crimea. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Ukraine, a show where the newsroom of the kremlin Independent explains Ukraine's biggest events in just under 30 minutes. I'm your host, Anastasia Lapatina. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Dinara Khalilova to discuss occupied Crimea and how the 10 years of Russian occupation have changed the peninsula. Dinara, it's your first time here on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Before we go on, I'll quickly remind you guys to subscribe to The Kim Independent, wherever you're listening to the show, whether that's on YouTube or on audio platforms. Make sure to leave comments, send us feedback, like the episodes. It really takes just a second for you, but it goes a very long way for us, because that's what helps YouTube algorithms to promote the show, so more people will stay informed about the war in Ukraine. So, Dinara, let's get into it. Here in Ukraine, February 20th is known as the start of the Russian occupation of the Crimean Peninsula and Sevastopol. So just over a week ago, it was the 10-year anniversary of the Russian occupation. And for that date, you wrote an amazing piece about Crimea and how it's been changed. And you even spoke to the locals who are still living under occupation. But before we get into all that, let's kind of wind the clock a little bit. For those who maybe only started following the news in Ukraine after 2022, after the full-scale invasion, and aren't very familiar with how Russia actually annexed Crimea and started the war back in 2014. So tell us what exactly happened in Crimea 10 years ago.
0: Um, So yeah, the Russian occupation of Crimea started on February 20th, 2014, but the preparations were in place actually like a lot before. So the Russian Black Sea Fleet has been stationed in Crimea in Sevastopol since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mm. And uh, a deal signed by ex-president, pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych, ensured the Black Sea Fleet would stay there until 2042. Actually,
1: and a lot of people were unhappy about that, uh, even yeah. before the revolution when we kicked him out. I think there were some protests about that as well.
0: Yes, yes, but it, it didn't help. The deal was signed, and in 2014, like when Russian military, when Russian troops without military insignia invaded Crimea. They quickly seized military bases and government buildings in Crimea. And in March, like using these pro-Russian local politicians that were not even like popular yeah. before these events, they staged this uh, sham referendum uh, that was not internationally recognized mm-hmm. and illegally annexed the peninsula.
1: And in the background, as all of this was unfolding, of course, there was the Revolution of Dignity. So, you know, Russians really used that chaos that was happening in Kyiv. Uh, you know, for, for these events.
0: Yes. Yes. Following the ousting of Yanukovych, there was not like actual, like power back then, and Mm -hmm. they started the occupation like right during this most tragic events on the Maidan.
1: And so why didn't Ukraine put up the fight that it did in 2022, for example, right? Like the whole country mobilized in 2022 and started fighting off the Russian invasion, what was happening in Crimea?
0: So there were actually several likely reasons for that. The first one is that Ukraine's military was like in a very weak state right, uh, at the start of the annexation because of these policies of Yanukovych. And uh, he, actually in 2018, Alexander Trucinov, who was acting president of Ukraine at the time of the annexation, mm-hmm. he said that Ukraine couldn't resist the occupation of Crimea back then because of the virtually like non-existent military and right. because of a, th- a threat of full-scale invasion by Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he said that Russia planned to launch a full-scale invasion using 200,000 troops.
1: He said that back then in 2014.
0: No, no, no. He said that in 2018 Mm
1: -hmm. uh, about
0: the events later. Uh, So like he was explaining the reason why Mm -hmm. Ukraine didn't fight for Mm Crimea, And yeah, so Russia planned to use uh, 200,000 troops. And Ukraine could mobilize back then only 5,000, according to Turchinov.
1: Okay. So yeah, our military basically was non-existent and we didn't have anywhere near the Western support that we have right now as well, right? Yeah, I
0: mean, then... The war was like perceived more like a proxy one because Russia used its proxies to carry out the referendum, the occupation mm-hmm. of we, Crimea. We now
1: know that those were actual Russian soldiers. but yes. back then, you know, people didn't really pay attention. Yes,
0: yes. So the West imposed sanctions on Russia. It isolated it somehow, like politically and economically, but it didn't like give heavy weapons to Ukraine back then. And uh, of course, there were pro-Ukrainian protests in 2014, but they were like it didn't help. They were crushed by already Russian forces and actually a large amount of Ukrainian personnel defected to Russia in 2014 in Crimea, I mean, because they were already under years-long influence by Russia uh, because of the Russian Black Sea fleet stationed right. there and all of this. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So, Russia basically seized Crimea quickly and quietly. There wasn't much of a pushback and they justified it by, you know, saying that Crimea has always been Russia and all of these you know, the Kremlin loved historical myths of, you know, Crimea being the Russian jewel, etc. This argument has of course been rebuked by historians over and over and we'll link several materials, videos, and articles that a Cuban dependent has worked on to explain why that's false. But so then what did they actually annex it for if the historical argument is false, what was in it for Putin and the Kremlin?
0: So basically Crimea has served for Russia like a platform to launch, to prepare and launch a full-scale invasion eight years after the annexation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Russia turned Crimea into this huge military hub, which it used to supply its troops in southern Ukraine uh, during the full-scale invasion. And of course, having Crimea gives Russia more control over the Black Sea, which also enabled Russia to put further pressure on Ukraine at the start of the full-scale invasion and block its maritime trade. And uh, it also strengthens Russia's position in the region, in the Black Sea region.
1: So this Kremlins strive for military might in the region and, you know, building up Crimea as this defense and military complex. What did all of that mean for the local population, the regular Ukrainians who've been living in Crimea? So
0: before the Russian occupation, most Crimeans were employed in trade, agriculture, manufacturing, and services.
1: Right, because Crimea was this agricultural powerhouse of Ukraine.
0: Yeah, yeah. And after the annexation, the economy of Crimea has shifted towards the military-industrial complex and uh, like as Russia used its Soviet era facilities and revived and built new ones. And military and state employees in Crimea usually receive much higher salaries and social benefits and more social benefits than those employed in other sectors. So the population makeup in Crimea has really changed. Russia has created a number of incentives for Russians to move to Crimea. Given them job opportunities, preferential mortgage lending, and even reportedly giving Russian soldiers apartments of Ukrainians who have refused Russian citizenship.
1: Right. I think Russia managed to move nearly a million people into Crimea. Right. Most of them Russians.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So according to the Ukrainian Helsinki Human Rights Union, up to eight hundred thousand Russians have illegally moved to the peninsula, and around one hundred thousand Ukrainians have left. As of 2023,
1: full disclosure, I have family in Crimea and from Crimea. And, you know, I've heard so many stories of Ukrainians who've lived there before the occupation and who still live there because they couldn't move for, you know, economic reasons or financial reasons, whatever. You know, they're forced to take up Russian passports. So they end up having two sets of documents a Ukrainian passport, usually, and a Russian passport. Because otherwise you don't have any access to any services, right? You can't really send your kids to school, to kindergarten, you know, you can't go to hospital. So it's, it's really tough because, you know, especially for the part of the population that's really highly ideological, who are still in Crimea, you know, taking up Russian citizenship is not an easy thing to do, but you really have no other choice. Which is also why under Ukrainian law, those things are not considered like you're a traitor or something, because our officials say that like, we know that these people had no choice. They're really just trying to survive. So, of course, after the full-scale invasion, the checkpoints between mainland Ukraine and the peninsula have been shut. But before you could come in, even though you have a Russian passport and, you know, it wasn't really a problem because Ukrainian authorities understand how tough surviving under the occupation is.
0: Yes, yes. They basically do everything so that residents take the Russian passport and... uh, Even
1: get rid of the Ukrainian one, I think, they force people. Well. Crimea has been extremely important for Putin, I think, personally, in some sense. He's been using it a lot in his propaganda, you know, saying that Crimea is finally home, right, going back to the historical land argument, and also saying that with Russia coming into Crimea, it is finally flourishing and Russia is putting so much money into rebuilding Crimea and things like that. Is any of that even remotely true? Well, not exactly. Exactly. After the annexation,
0: Russia began turning Crimea into its like, showcase window, building roads, parks, schools, repairing mm-hmm. everything, building other infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And a Crimean resident actually told me that all of this construction like, managed to form uh, like an opinion among some residents that Russia like, truly cares about mm-hmm. Crimea and all of this. But actually, like a lot of these infrastructure projects turned out to be like a bad, a bad quality mm-hmm. and all this construction is going on against the backdrop of residents actually getting poorer.
1: And why is that? So like at
0: first in 2014, when residents started receiving payments, salaries and social payments in rubles, state employees were given like a better transfer rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why like the income increased for some time, like temporarily. But then, when Ukrainian products disappeared from the shelves and Russian products started to appear, yeah, yeah, yeah. prices in Crimea actually spiked and people really got like poor.
1: The salaries increased, but the inflation got so high. That yeah, there wasn't really an increase to feel.
0: Yeah, actually, in two thousand twenty three, a Russian state-owned agency placed Crimea in the top ten like Russian regions mm-hmm. uh, with the lowest income.
1: Oh, wow. So it's really bad. Yeah. Crimea has also, of course, been kind of isolated financially, right? As far as I know, there are no banks other than, you know, the Russian banks. You can't use Visa, MasterCard, all of those things. And it's pretty tough, especially for families, you know, who have family members in Ukrainian mainland and in Crimea. It's really hard to even send money transfers or something because it was just completely isolated back then.
0: Yeah. And after the annexation, obviously foreign companies exited the market due to sanctions Mm -hmm. and exports have decreased. And all of this made Crimea largely dependent on the Russian federal budget.
1: And I know some Russians are very unhappy about that as well, right? Because the Russians aren't getting any richer in Russia, but so much money is being poured into Crimea.
0: Yeah. A lot of money has been flowing into Crimea and, uh, like subsidies from Moscow have arrived over the years, but they still constitute to two thirds of the, of wow. the Crimean budget. Yeah.
1: I've spent a large chunk of my childhood in Crimea, like many Ukrainian kids, I think. I like you as well. Yeah. And we remember, you know, the beautiful ecology and the cultural scenery and the parks and the palaces in the mountains. So I wonder what has happened with all of that? how has the occupation affected the ecology and the cultural scene in Crimea?
0: Yeah, obviously Crimea is full of these nature reserves and beautiful scenery. And all of this intensified construction has really harmed Crimea's ecology. So it made a, it had an effect on its rare animals and plants, and it has really changed Crimean landscapes. So, some locals tried to protest against like the the destruction. Yeah, yeah, the most like wild projects, but it didn't help. The protests were obviously crushed. uh, crushed. Yeah. So, also because Russia treats Crimea as basically its colony, it doesn't really care about all this historic heritage and all this historic sites in Crimea. Mm -hmm. So, they have been looted, uh, like destroyed, just not cared about. And it's also very sad because we all remember all these old castles, Mm -hmm. palaces, and beautiful places in Crimea.
1: We all know that Russia is a dictatorship. So, of course, they brought their state control and their propaganda with them, right? They exported the dictatorship into Crimea. So, what has that looked like in Crimea?
0: Yes, basically, Crimeans are surrounded by these narratives that Crimea has always been Russian appraising all this the annexation as this long-awaited return to Russia. It's it's just everywhere. So this propaganda is so strong and aggressive that Crimeans are afraid to even identify as Ukrainians. So a woman who still lives in Crimea told me that she was actually assaulted after telling Russian soldiers in a Crimean cafe who were, like, intimidating her, she told them that she's Ukrainian, and they assaulted her. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. And... Mm.
1: I know that some people have even been arrested for having, you know, a Ukrainian flag, you know, dripping near their house or something.
0: Yes, yes. It's been going on like throughout the whole occupation, especially during the full-scale invasion. So Moscow has conducted like a series of neo-imperialistic policies on the peninsula, including the so-called patriotic education for children. Uh,
1: Of course, the the famous patriotic education.
0: Yeah, yes. So local children are being taught actually how to become like Russian soldiers in the future. So they teach them how to shoot, use grenades and etc. And actually children in Crimea haven't been like learning Ukrainian history and literature since 2014 and Ukrainian language has basically di- disappeared from, Crimean schools.
1: They kind of have to go to two schools, right? Because many of them want to when they are old enough go to universities in mainland Ukraine. For that they need, you know, Ukrainian documents, Ukrainian accredited education. And they also just want to have good education. So they end up doing like an online Ukrainian school thing, which is a real thing in Ukraine. You know, these schools are very popular because we have so many kids living in Russian occupied territories. And they also then go to like the actual Russian school in Crimea. And you know, they have to I, I often think like, how do they sit through all of this crap in, in these lessons. Like they know obviously that all of these propaganda narratives are false. So they just have to sit there with a straight face for like years and wait until they get out. It's, yeah. it's really sad and just also a waste of their time, you know, in, and their youth.
0: Yes. Basically, UN courts concluded that Crimeans have been stripped of the right to receive education in their language, Ukrainian. And of course, for those children who want to go to university in Ukraine, it's much harder because they don't learn in Ukrainian. Right. So we have this statistics actually, a very horrible one that as of last year, only over like 100 children out of 2,300 children in Crimea mm-hmm. were learning in Ukrainian.
1: Oh God. Yeah, that's, that is a terrible statistic. So, I mean, how has the Ukrainian population been living under such conditions all these years? We've already mentioned that, you know, you spoke to a woman who was assaulted. I, I imagine there are many more of those stories, right? It's not exactly a safe place to be in as a Ukrainian who identifies strongly as a Ukrainian.
0: Yes. So many Ukrainians who didn't flee the occupation in 2014, they were imprisoned on political grounds. They were expelled, pushed to move to Russia, or even mobilized into the Russian military.
1: After the uh, full-scale invasion, that yes. is? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, like before that, just okay. like a, for um, contract service, yeah, know, like a usual regular service, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like thousands of Crimeans were actually drafted. Mm-hmm. And many of those who stayed, they have developed this kind of like self-censorship, uh, mm-hmm. not expressing their genuine opinion because it can be really dangerous for them. So, you, Crimeans have been persecuted for openly opposing uh, the illegal annexation and then during the full scale invasion for making any kind of like anti-war statements, even for like social media posts or just wearing like, Ukrainian sim- like symbols. So throughout the 10 years of Russian occupation, over 300 residents of the peninsula were re- reportedly imprisoned or criminally persecuted on political grounds. So it's only like criminal cases and there are a lot more administrative cases as well. And less than 60 prisoners have been released so far. But there is one segment of Crimean population that has suffered the most of it.
1: Right. The Crimean Tatars, I assume we're going to talk about them, which is, of course, the ethnic minority that's native to Crimea, the indigenous population of Crimea. They've been suffering from ridiculous repressions at the hands of Russians for actually many, many decades and hundreds of years, going back to like Catherine the Great but, you know, tell us more about what, what the life under Russian occupation more recently has been like for them.
0: Yes, Crimean and Tatar have been especially outspoken against the Russian occupation of Crimea, and they are the majority of political prisons in, in Crimea. So they were like the main target of Russia's repression machine on the peninsula.
1: It's, it's really hard for them because they're kind of at this intersection of being pro-Ukrainian, most of them, but then also being Muslim. And, you know, being Muslim isn't exactly easy in most places around the world, but also especially in, in Russia and in Russian-occupied territories. So they're basically accused of terrorism by Russia for alleged links to Hizb ut which is this pan-Islamist political party, which is actually legal in Ukraine and in most countries around the world and in Europe, but it's illegal in Russia. So that change was really tough for Crimean Tatars as well when Russia came in.
0: Yes, yes. They have been like routinely searched, interrogated.
1: There was a house search just this morning, actually, on the day that we're recording this. Many houses uh, of Crimean Tatars in Crimea have been searched and people have been arrested.
0: Yes, yes. And then imprisoned and sent like thousands of kilometers away from their homes. And actually, a Crimean native whom I talked to, she told me that her friend, Crimean Tatar, Their home was searched and they took like her husband, they imprisoned him for 20 years and Mm -hmm. they just like put like a book in Arabic in his car, but like, he doesn't even like read Arabic. He doesn't know Arabic. Mm -hmm. He's not religious at all. Okay. So like to, to create this like kind of like.
1: Illusion that he's connected to to this
0: party. Yeah. They did it and like his mother heart attack after that, it was like it was horrible. And it like happens on a regular basis in Crimea. And in prisons they are actually denied access to medical assistance. And they put in isolation cells, like in punishment cells. Mm-hmm. And they stripped of their rights to communicate with their relatives and to practice their religion.
1: So what has changed for the locals in Crimea after the full scale invasion in twenty twenty two? Because Of course, there are now Ukrainian attacks happening on the peninsula. We Ukrainians are quite happy about that because we want Crimea liberated. But in your reporting, uh, did you get a feeling of how the locals are receiving these statements by Ukrainian authorities that we're going to liberate Crimea very soon, that this war is not going to end without the liberation of Crimea? How are people receiving that? Are they waiting for the military to come to liberate them and so on? So...
0: After the beginning of the full-scale invasion, Russia actually tightened its grip over Crimea as it like, fears to lose it. So it doubled down on propaganda, on militarization of the population, and on repressions. So more people left Crimea and those who stayed, those pro- pro-Ukrainian residents who stayed, they either like quietly wait and hope for the liberation or they actually take a part in the resistance movement. So, Crimeans are routinely accused of discrediting the Russian military and they receive, like, administrative cases and
1: fines for it. Even for, like, posts on Facebook or or, or even liking somebody's post. I've heard stories about that, people being arrested and searched because they liked a pro-Ukrainian post on social media.
0: Yes, yes, for, like, basically just discussing in public even, like, their pro-Ukrainian views or something like that. So, yeah, repressions got, like, much harder during the full-scale invasion. And as, f- as for the attacks on military facilities, on Russian military facilities in Crimea, so pro-Ukrainian residents like quietly rejoice at these attacks every time it happens, while the Russians and pro-Russian residents, they like began questioning actually all of this like propaganda about Crimea being the invincible fortress mm-hmm. of the Russian military. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Kiev is actively preparing on the state level for future Crimea liberation and reintegration. Locals seem not very optimistic, to be honest. So one of the Crimean residents told me that since the beginning of the full-scale invasion, she actually heard more people voicing in their hopes for the potential liberation, but some are afraid that after the liberation, they might be considered traitors.
1: That fear of, you know, being considered traitors is based on the idea that Some people in Ukraine, in mainland Ukraine, may think that, oh, they should have just left. And why did they stay under Russian occupation? Even though, of course, it's not that easy to just upend your whole life and and move somewhere. So it's not a, I I don't think it's a very popular sentiment, but it definitely exists, this tension a little bit between the populations who didn't flee Russian occupation, who stayed for financial reasons or having to take care of elderly family or something like that. Yes, yes. And I think it
0: also because of this They don't understand how the Ukrainian state will actually like deal with uh, with them. Yeah, with them. And how will they define collaborators? Because all of this is a subject of active discussion now. That's true. Because of this current legislation, like most Crimeans would be considered collaborators and it's like basically crazy. Yes. So that's why like this fear is understandable. But like we'll see how it would turn out after the liberation. And another resident told me that after Ukraine liberated her son, this like this gave some hope to Crimeans that it could happen to them in the near future as well. But as the situation on the battlefield has worsened, the general mood in Crimea has had too. So people are confused about their future. They don't know what would come, and, but they just keep going. <laughs>
1: We're now going to be moving to the community question of today's episode. To get a chance to send us in questions, go to comindependent.com slash membership and become a member of our community. There are different tiers of support, a one-time donation or a monthly subscription, and you get really cool perks like exclusive access to conversations with editors and more. So the community question that we're tackling today is, in what ways has the resistance to the occupation manifested itself? And is it widespread or in small pockets? I think you've touched on the fact that there are some partisans in, in Crimea. Uh, can you tell us a bit more?
0: Yes, sure. So resistance acts in Crimea can be really different. Somebody wears clothes with Ukrainian symbols or just raises Ukrainian flag in public spaces for which they, they can actually be detained or fined. There is a resistance movement called Yellow Ribbon that was actually born in Kherson and mm-hmm. they tie up these yellow ribbons on the streets of uh, Russian occupied cities. And this has become, like, one of the main symbols of the Ukrainian resistance. And another resistance organization called Atash,
1: Which means fire in Crimean Tatar.
0: Yes, yes. So they are doing, like, more radical things. They are helping Ukrainian military with strikes on Russian military facilities in Crimea. So... So, Atesh told the Kiev Independent that they have directed Ukrainian strikes on the Russian Black Sea Fleet headquarters in Sevastopol. That's
1: very impressive. Yes. We actually have a whole episode on, on those attacks. We'll link it below as well.
0: Yes, they also helped Ukrainian military to destroy the Minsk and Rostov Don ships and to hit airfields in Saki and Jankoi and Amazing. hit other very important Russian military targets. And uh, they told us that around 2,000 people have joined their resistance movement in Crimea and in Russia as well. And they actually uh, risk their freedom and lives doing it because, yeah, that is being captured by Russian special forces or even killed. So this has been going on for the whole full-scale invasion. As for the question whether it's like widespread, we... Like, we don't have like actual like, numbers, of course, of and course. we don't have a lot of information coming from the occupied Crimea, but Tamila Tasheva, who is uh, President Vladimir Zelensky representative for Crimea, she told the Kiev Independent that the authorities didn't see such a widespread and active resistance movement before 2022.
1: Well, Dinara, thank you so much for coming in. It was super interesting to listen to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this show. Please go to communitydependentcom such membership, and support us by becoming a member of our community, and also follow us on social media on Instagram, X, and Facebook. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.